Hello and welcome to Beyond Radio Podcasts. This is an episode in our series The Veteran's Story, produced in conjunction with Morecambe Football Club Community Sports and the First Light Trust. In this series, local veterans recount their experiences of serving in the armed forces and life since leaving. The views expressed here are of the individual contributor. This is The Veteran's Story. My name's Darren Clifford and I'm from Morecambe. Uh, my branch in the armed forces was uh, the army and I served in the Royal Army Medical Corps and the Queen Alexandra's Royal Army Nursing Corps in nursing and other associated uh, jobs. All told, I was in the forces for 15 years and uh, I went from a private in 1987 to captain when I left in 2000. So I decided to join the military because um, at that time, sort of mid to late 80s, the job market was incredibly difficult and there was lots of articles about people going through secondary education and then going on to university and and still ending up, um, you know, working as shift managers at McDonald's, which is no bad thing, but um, it didn't appeal to me at that point. So, um, So I joined the army. I'd been in the air training corps and I'd moved home and the nearest cadet service to where I lived at that point was the army cadets. Um, So I ended up joining the the army purely and simply because that was the uniform I was wearing when we'd moved home. The reaction from friends and family was a bit of a mixed one, to be honest. Um, My second eldest brother was a a veteran of the Falklands conflict that we've just uh, commemorated the 40th anniversary of. So he was quite keen. My dad was extremely keen, my mother was, was not keen in the slightest and my teachers were bemused because I was doing really well in my O-levels. They thought I should go on and do A-levels and, uh, and, and then go on to university so the reaction from family and friends was a bit of a mixed one. When I joined up I was uh, 16 and a half so um, leaving and, and going down south was, uh, was a bit of a culture shock, everything was different. Um, it was even more humid, noticeably more humid down there uh, back in those days and a lot warmer So, um, and nothing was the same at all. So, uh, uh, so leaving home was a bit of a wrench because it was the first time I'd ever been away. For a few years, I wondered what it would have been like if I'd, uh, if I'd carried on and done my A-levels and gone to university. But, um, but thanks to the military and, and staying on and, and going through my professional development, I ended up going to university anyway, so it all worked out in the end. The relationship that I had with people I served alongside was really the the crux of the whole thing for 15 years. That's what attracts people to the military and keeps them in the military because you're working with colleagues and friends and then in the end brothers because um, because you do rely on each other so much. There's a as as people in the military will tell you, there's a level of honesty that you don't normally get in workplaces, and and that for me is was the most uh, remarkable thing about being in the military and 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 as a veteran it is is still the most remarkable thing so my role took me around a lot of places I've, I've done a magical mystery tour of the whole of the united kingdom um northern ireland um germany uh, all the usual uh war zones that that people did from 1987 onwards um my 
my favourite deployment, I have to say, was uh, back in the 90s when uh, I was sent to be the community psychiatric nurse for the Falkland Islands. And I should have been there for four months, ended up staying for a year, and I loved every second of it. So a typical day, um, in the early days, typical day would be um, as a combat medical technician. So that would be making sure that the field hospital was in, in good order and getting shouted at quite a bit by the uh, RSM. Um, as I worked through, it would be working in operating theatre, so it would be getting up extremely early in the morning, getting the operating theatre ready, working with the anaesthetist and and, 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 uh, and getting the theatre ready for, for whatever operations we were doing. And latterly, in my last deployment, um, I was the ward manager of the last ever inpatient psychiatric unit that the British forces had in Germany. Um, and that was very much about getting into work, supporting the staff, um, and doing PT because we would always, always do some some PT first thing in the morning together with the patients. So that was my typical day. Conflict-wise, Northern Ireland, obviously, um, Balkans deployed to the first Gulf War and then uh, a little sojourn into Africa for, for a bit. And then, uh, of course, Iraq for the second time and Afghanistan as well. Being involved in the conflicts was kind of what you were paid to do really um especially the second uh the second gulf because i rejoined to do that i'd already left a few years earlier and and i felt so passionately about going and helping the guys out that that i re-enlisted um but it is what you're paid to do we're not we're not paid to sit around and and uh, and do nothing or go on uh, you know go on uh, skiing holidays although that is a nice little perk if you can manage it um, insofar as doubts of what I was doing, um, no, um, I think I was extremely lucky insofar as um, the role of the military medical services is to provide medical support, not just for our side, but for anybody who's sitting in front of us. So we had the privilege of being able to treat the civilian population as well. So we felt like we were doing some good as well as supporting our, our frontline boys. And we, uh, we did both in, in spades in all of the conflicts that I was ever involved in. I remember very distinctly, and and it's it's more of a, it's more of a sort of a typical thing where I was minding my own business, uh, having a cuppa, uh, when we were in Iraq, the second time around, and we were hit by a rocket attack, and the uh, the building we were in collapsed around us. Bit of uh, bit of shrapnel, bit of uh, bit of stuff off the ceiling dropped on us, and once the dust settled, and we tapped ourselves down because you tap yourself down to make sure that you know you still you still got all your bits and pieces in place. Uh, someone from beyond the the darkness just turned around and said, "Anyone for a cup of tea?" And that kind of sums up what we're like. <laughs> the moment you've tapped yourself down and you know that you're all right, then you want to check on everybody else. You want to check on your colleagues. You want to check on the rest of the unit and make sure that everybody's intact. Um, the set of people that don't know and won't know for a number of days because we closed down all the comms and we closed down all other all other news uh, from from inside an area when there's been an attack are your family they're the ones that have to endure days of waiting not knowing uh, so they're the ones that that we are mindful of when when we've when we're all right because because they don't know and and it that I think being at home is actually ju- is, is just as hard, if not harder, and that's why we we have to look after the families of of, of service men and women and 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 service men and, and women and who are veterans. Um, insofar as family life is concerned, yeah, I uh, I met my wife at the time 
uh, way back in the early 90s. She was serving, so was I. It was never a particularly uh, great balance because, and, and I'm sure this is a fairly typical uh, story for a lot of people, I got a posting order which would kick in the day after I was getting married to be posted 300 miles away in Edinburgh. Sometimes that felt like that was almost a deliberate thing that the military would do. I hope it wasn't deliberate, but it felt like it. Um, and it was only because my matron intervened that I got a fortnight to go off on my honeymoon and then deployed. So myself and my wife actually didn't live together for the first two years, um, which wasn't particularly uh, great. Um, but in the end, uh, we uh, we had two fantastic kids, uh, one born uh, in Yorkshire, the other one born in Germany. And it was the the... The second one, um, my little daughter, um, that elicited my desire to, to leave because I wanted to see my family grow up. Leaving the service was difficult, to be honest, because I'd, I'd, I'd known nothing but that since I was, you know, 16 and a half. I'd given my oath of allegiance to Her Majesty um, a few times by that point, three. Um, so I, I felt passionately about service, but I knew it was time to to leave because because of family. Um, and because I wanted to see the kids' birthdays and, and, and significant times, you know, watching them go to school, things like that. So in the end, it wasn't as difficult as it could have been. Um, but, of course, uh, as my friends will tell you, um, going back sort of showed that I still had an itch that needed scratching. So, you know, it wasn't too many years after that that I ended up re-enlisting. <laughs> Settling back into civilian life um, was um, wasn't too bad. the 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 resettlement that was on offer uh, was better than it had been. It, I, I, I think it's better now than it was when I left back in uh, back in the early two thousands. Um, but it still wasn't uh, it still wasn't fantastic to be honest. But I was lucky in so far as I got a, a job pretty quickly um, and then settled into a new a new job still within the, the discipline of nursing and funnily enough my immediate boss was also ex-military so um, so it was a lot easier than it could have been in other circumstances. The greatest benefit of being a member of the armed forces is um, is the people you meet and the comrades that you work with um, and that continues through your service and, and afterwards um, which is why we're here today. Insofar as missing out on things for being a member of the armed forces, I think it's the opposite. I think I've seen more of the world than I ever would have done. I've uh, I've done more different jobs and have much wider experiences as, as because of being a member of the armed forces. I've met I've met people from different cultures that I would never have ever had an opportunity to meet, and and I've already mentioned them, but uh, I wouldn't have had the privilege of, of getting to know the civilian population in the Falklands the way I did um, because. You know they are truly inspirational people. I uh, I would go back tomorrow to be honest. You know when you see things going on in you know places like Ukraine especially, it's heartening to know that that we're doing what we can. But I genuinely believe that that this is the this is the sedate land of the twenty first century. That there is always going to be somebody who is you know frankly not stable, has a military at their disposal and will eventually pick a fight with somebody who is one of our allies. So I think it's a real worry. But, you know, I know we've got a Secretary of State for Defence who, um, who's a local MP, obviously, from not far around, around the corner from here, who's a good man, 
who's trying to do everything he possibly can from, from this country's point of view. Like a lot of veterans, you look at what happened, um, especially in Afghanistan right at the end, and, and you, you do it does make you wonder whether it was worth it. That was more upsetting, I think, than anything else. But um, we go, we try and do our best, and we come home. If I went back in time and I wanted to give advice to my younger self, I'd say keep going, stick at it, and value it for as much as, as you can for as long as you can and don't walk away I'd, I'd be encouraging him to stay in for a little bit longer maybe keep going and do something amazing with it um i only say that by the way because my uh my best friend when i was in the army is a guy called jacko paul jackson fantastic lad he's now a lieutenant colonel and the director of army nursing services so he's done pretty well for himself and we we got our our nursing registrations on the same day an absolutely top lad, um, and I know that my old colleagues are in good hands because because he was a good boy. Being considered an, uh, an armed forces veteran at the at the ripe old age of fifty one is a slightly disturbing, to be honest. Um, you know, when people talk about veterans, they think of they think of old people, they think of people in berets and white gloves with with banners and things, and actually, it's a lot more nuanced than that. Um, there's a lot of people working behind the scenes doing welfare jobs. There's a lot of really amazing forces charities helping with with housing, with mental health, with a whole range of issues. So it's, it's a funny one, isn't it, really? Because if you believed what some people tell you in the press, you'd think that all people who are ex-forces are either mad, bad or sad. And it's not like that. Most people who leave the forces are, are doing something constructive in their, in their community. They're out there working. They're members of local councils. You know, they're working in, in their communities and, and contributing like everybody else does. We just happen to have a badge that says that at some point in our lives we banged a uniform on. As you as, as you see during the during the year on Armed Forces Weekend that's coming up and and uh, you know remembrance that we're madly embarrassed by people describing us as heroes because we're not. Thank you for listening to The Veteran's Story. You can subscribe to the podcasts and visit the Beyond Radio podcast page at www.beyondradio.co.uk forward slash podcasts to hear further veteran stories as they are released. For information on how the First Light Trust is helping local veterans, visit www.firstlighttrust.co.uk Beyond Radio